The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only and are not to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today on The Lab Report, Dr. Dan Kalish. Yeah, you might have heard of something called the Kalish Institute. I'm familiar. Yeah, well, he's here. That's amazing. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to The Lab Report. You've been counting? Yeah, we're at 51. This is our 51st episode. This is 51. And they said it wouldn't last. Hello. Hi, Michael Chapman. Hi, Patty Devers. How's it going? It's going great. Welcome to The Lab Report. Thanks. Welcome, everyone, to The Lab Report. This is a podcast, in case you did not know what you're listening to. (laughs) It's a podcast where we talk about functional medicine, specialty lab testing, integrative therapeutics, and it is brought to you by Genova Diagnostics. Wow. That sound, it's just obnoxious. That is the DJ air horn, man. Well, if you're not put off by Michael's DJ air horn, you can go to iTunes, Spotify. You can subscribe to this podcast. Give us a five-star review. Tell us what you think about Michael's air horn. That's right. Send us an email if it's that abrasive to podcast at gdx.net. And without further ado, Patty. What? What are we talking about today? Well, we have Dr. Dan Kalish on the program today. He's a legend. And he, you He's know a superstar. You know we like talking to Dan Kalish? He geeks out over lab tests like we do. That's right. That's right. It's like having one of our own here. Birds of a feather flock, flock together. together. That's yeah. right. And speak together, I guess, apparently. <laughs> uh, so let's talk a little bit about Dr. Kalish. He is the founder of the Kalish Institute, mm-hmm. which is an educational training platform, and he is an all-around super smart guy. Yeah. Not only that, he's super fun and engaging, and he makes it less intimidating, learning all this brand-new information. And he else. talks a yeah. lot about how to start a business, how to run a business, all that sort of stuff. So, so important. let's just pipe down, <laughs> as my father used to say. <laughs> With good reason. <laughs> and let's just get right Without to Without further interview. ado, let's call Dan Kalish. Let's do it. Well, Michael, I'm very excited. Guess who's here? Dan Kalish. I know, Dr. Daniel Kalish. Dr. Kalish is the founder of the Kalish Institute, an online training program dedicated to building functional medicine practices. Since 2006, the Kalish Institute has helped develop practice models for over 1,000 practitioners worldwide. Dr. Kalish also leads an online mentorship program in functional medicine that emphasizes clinical application and program design skills. Graduates of the Kalish Institute include practitioners ranging from Dr. Mercola's medical staff to Mayo Clinic and Cleveland Clinic physicians. In 2016, Dr. Kalish published a research study on the Kalish Method with Larry Bergstrom, founder and director of the Integrative Medicine Department Mayo Clinic Scottsdale, and Sue Cutshaw, Division of General Internal Medicine Mayo Clinic Rochester. He is the author of three books, The Five Pillars to Building a Successful Practice, the Kalish Method, Healing the Body, Mapping the Mind, and Your Guide to Healthy Hormones, and is a frequently requested speaker for integrative medicine conferences across the United States. Awesome. And with that, welcome to the lab report, Dr. Welcome, Kalish. Welcome, Dr. Kalish. Thank you very much. I'm very glad to be here. 
Awesome. Well, you know, many of us are familiar with your work, both independently at the Kalish Institute as well as through the Institute for Functional Medicine. Um, and I always find this question a little bit interesting because we all kind of arrived at integrative right. medicine through yeah. a different path. And <laughs> can you talk a little bit about how you arrived at functional integrative medicine as a focus of yours? Yeah, no one's asked me that in a long time. So, you know, when I was in my early 20s, I went to Thailand and I was living in a Buddhist monastery for a couple of years. And, and towards the end of that period of time, I thought it would be a good idea to go to the the regular monastery and then they had the extreme monastery. And so my buddy Jim and I went to the extreme monastery in the north of Thailand, which was in a very remote area and very unsanitary. And anyways, I ended up getting um, dysentery, you know, yeah. and um, it, it turned out, you know, 15 years later, di <clears throat> diagnosed it as entamoeba histolytica. I didn't know oh, that at the time. Huh. So anyways, that hmm. kind of sickness where you're like, you're so sick, you like literally can't even move. I had to flee the monastery, go down to the south to get some hospital care. Hmm. And then um, I had this parasite, right? But I didn't know. Right. So then when I came back to the U.S. many years later, I still had this parasite, but I didn't know. And I just developed what we would call chronic fatigue, I guess, nowadays. And in my pursuit to try to figure out how I could eliminate my chronic fatigue, I stumbled across these functional medicine doctors. Um after all the regular medical stuff failed, one treatment for e-histo, one treatment for e-histo, and it was all gone. And I was like, hey, I've got to learn how to do this stuff. Wow. 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 Yay. That's amazing. Right. And I mean, as part of what you do now with the Kalish Institute, we know that you use a lot of specialty lab testing in your overall approach to patient care. What do you find to be the most helpful in identifying root causes of dysfunction in patients? Yeah, so we, we stress off really, uh, start off really simply at Kalish Method training programs, right? We do uh, adrenal stress component and with the GI effects, right? So we mm -hmm. get the stress and GI microbiome aspects of the problem. Mm -hmm. And looking at emotional stress, spiritual stress, disconnection, blood sugar, dysglycemia, all that stuff that goes into the adrenals as being a core cause for a lot of people having problems. Mm -hmm. And then that the microbiome-related issues also being in that category. So we see that as like the core first round. Right. And then from that, you know, we tend to expand out to more complicated tests. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. And how do you, I mean, when you go about, uh, is a big part of the, the program as far as teaching people from a clinical perspective how to go about interpreting the testing? Is that a, a big part of it? Or is it um, also, you know, how to go from there from integrating treatment, all that mixed together? Yeah, well, we, you know, we start off where the doctors are starting off with, like, how do you sell the test kit to a patient? Because like, you have to have a pretty good sales pitch, really, to get people to spend the money on labs. And then right. that's probably the first month of the class. And then we get into, you know, pretty sophisticated ways of interpreting the test, but with a little twist, interpreting it in a way that you can then the next day talk to the patient about it, explain what the lab means, why it's important, and then why they should do whatever program you want them to do. So there's a really big emphasis on patient education. Mm. Otherwise, you know, people either won't buy the labs yeah. or they right. won't implement the program that right. you're recommending. Right. Like yeah. an educated yeah, yeah. patient's a compliant patient, right? Yeah, that's that's great. I mean, you're giving the clinical interpretation, but then also the translation right. from the clinical right. to the patient. That makes that's the part sense. that's actually harder. I mean, well, you really need to know how to interpret labs, but it's even harder to translate, especially in your first couple of years because yeah. the languaging isn't obvious. It's not... You don't really understand where the patient's coming from and what they need to hear. Yeah. 
Hmm. Huh. No, that's great. That's really interesting. So you have an incredibly deep knowledge of organic acid interpretation, amino acids, fatty acids. Um, where where did you learn all of this, <laughs> I guess is my question. Where, like, How did you acquire all this vast knowledge? Yeah, so I stumbled through the dark like everyone else for 20, 25 years, <laughs> just trying to wing it with organic acids, fatty acids, yeah. or you know all these tests. And then three or four years ago, I sent out a rather innocent email to Dr. Richard Lord, who is the original scientist that, you know, mm-hmm. back in the 1960s was starting to think about these things, mm-hmm. genomics, organic acids. And Richard was in retirement at the time. And I don't know why, but he basically took me on as his number one student. So he and I have been working together very closely now, a couple days a week yeah. for these last bunch of years. And it's like, you know, he basically he developed organic acids in its original incarnation. And for 30 years, he probably saw every single lab that was ever run. Mm-hmm. So his knowledge on this is as expansive as the field is. Mm-hmm. And so he's been trying to just dump all that into my brain as quickly <laughs> as possible every Monday and Thursday. And then I teach, you know, my students the same information uh, as quickly as I can. But it's really been a quite a process. And he's a very, very good scientist. He's an even better educator. Hmm. And uh, I've learned a lot from him. It's really pretty remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so many nuances to these things that true. you can only see after decades and decades of, of reviewing labs. Yeah, that's so true. And it sounds like the stars aligned for you and, and made you what you are here. Yeah. I yeah. mean, and here at Genova, I mean, we look at these tests all day long and we're still learning them, too. Yeah. Right. There's so much to know and so much to learn. But you're right. After seeing so many patterns, you really start to get it. Yeah. And I think it's a couple of things. I think it's understanding the science and you really have to have I've sharpened my biochemistry knowledge quite a bit in the mm-hmm. last three years to back where it was maybe in my 20s when I was actually taking those kind of classes, you know, right. and then combining that with the clinical presentation and then how the labs overlap in and connect to one another, you yeah. know, and then layering on top of all that, the what Richard calls the functional genomics. Like we were just today talking about the five or six enzymes that all can have genetic defects that all interfere with the urea cycle that could all cause you to have an arginine problem right? right and then being able to track that back so you can say oh well you have an arginine problem an orotate problem a urea cycle problem and here's the three enzymes that i think are damaged and here's why you know that level of detail and understanding yeah and is that why you find it important to maintain clinical practice as well as your educational platform i, I mean i think that's that tends to be critical as far as just keeping feet to the pavement and keeping this empiric knowledge going yeah, you have to because I think it's like um, a professional musician who keeps playing concerts even though they don't need the money anymore, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. Like you just have to stay interacting with your audience and be able to try your new material and be able to see how it works. Um, so, yeah, I practice two days a week still, two two half days. Mm-hmm. And in a sense, that's a learning ground as well, you know, as uh, as anything else. Yeah. Yeah. We find that too, even interacting with the with the clinicians who tell us about what's going on with patients. We're, we learn from the doctors we speak to, so I love that. But as part of your lecturing and in your teaching, we've heard you speak about what you call the four horsemen of disease development. Sounds kind of scary, but can you explain what you mean by the four horsemen? Like, what are they and how do they contribute to chronic disease? Yeah, and this is an attempt to help 
model, this basic straight up patient communication device, right? To mm -hmm. help model or, or create models because in functional medicine, everything causes everything else. And you can't really sit down to a patient and talk about how everything causes everything else. <laughs> right. So it's just because they can't understand that unless they're going to do a three-year course with you. And that's not realistic. Mm -hmm. So the four horsemen were an attempt to just say, okay, there's these four really bad things that happen. They pretty much happen to 100% of our chronic illness patients. And then they each can be solved in different ways based on the labs. And so it's insulin resistance, inflammation, catabolic physiology, and oxidative stress. Mm -hmm. and, and being able to take those four categories and, and, and let patients know, okay, you have an insulin resistant problem, which is related to your oxidative stress. Here's the lab work. Here's the supplement and diet solutions. So again, it's a, a, a model or it's a teaching tool, I guess, is another way of thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot to explain to a patient too, right? Like that's, that's the tricky part, the, getting the patient to understand the synthesis stress and, and, and the, yeah. the matrix of, yeah, and, and putting everything together, how everything connects one to another. Yeah. yeah, and people, if you make it too complicated, then you're going to lose people pretty quickly. Three yeah. or four things is, seems to be the max capacity for most people. And I, the, one of the things of those four, um, I think about catabolic physiology. That one stands out to me quite a bit and maybe it's just because I hear more about some of the other ones through training and so can you do you mind going into a little bit about what you mean by catabolic physiology I mean kind of I can get a sense of what you're talking about by the, the naming of it but uh, why is that important yeah so I would say that is the origin of all illness wow. is that we're stressed someone in the family dies we go through a divorce to some intense emotional experience that we don't handle very well. Mm -hmm. So then the cortisol levels go crazy, thyroid hormones react, adrenaline, you know, everything's happening that you think of in stress physiology. But one of the hallmarks of stress physiology is that you don't, your, your normal metabolism starts to dysfunction, right? And you start to burn up or use up amino acids for fuel. Mm -hmm. And so typically we think about grabbing amino acids from muscle tissue and you have some muscle tissue degradation, but the most one of the easiest places to get free you know, amino acids to use for fuel is from the gut lining. So as we're stressed and we become catabolic, we not only start to chew up muscle tissue for fuel, but we also start to damage the gut lining and break it down as an to get an energy source, right? an alternative energy source, because we're now in this burning amino acids mode instead of our normal metabolic mode. Mm -hmm. And so that combination, it goes back to the whole adrenal slash gut axis connection. We're stressed, the gut lining is damaged, and we're in a breakdown state, which by definition means that we're not healing well, right? Because mm -hmm. we would need to build up or be more anabolic to heal. And so I think that, oh, and then the, of course the gut lining gets trashed, you get leaky gut, you have immune regulation problems in the gut, and then people pick up all these bugs in their gut and they're off and running. So that model we're trying to flip that and make the person uh or bring the person back to a place where they're healing and repairing rather than in this degenerative breakdown state yeah hmm. i love that example because it's we think about hpx as dysfunction and yes it's going to cause hormone irregularity and yes it's going to cause imbalance in your you know autonomic regulation your parasympathetic sympathetic balance but you're talking about at the end of the day these are the real physiologic consequences. It's catabolism. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think that's super important to, to convey as well. That's, that's great. Yeah, because the punchline on that one, if you can get patients to buy into that, the punchline then is that they should do an adrenal and a GI test for sure to just to get started mm -hmm. and that they have to deal with 
meditation, exercise, sleep, and diet to manage the adrenal problem or to manage the catabolic physiology. So it's also the buy-in for the lifestyle changes, better quality sleep, all the things that would throw you back the other direction away from being overly catabolic. So it's kind of a plug for the lifestyle as a treatment option. Yeah. Yeah. And once they see those abnormal tests, I mean, the data is pretty compelling to compel them to change their lifestyle. So. Yeah. Yeah. And otherwise, if you just tell people to go to bed at nine o'clock <laughs> at night, they just don't do it, right? right? But if you say, "Look, your body's breaking down, your gut lining has right. been destroyed, and your adrenals are not doing well," and then they, it's a little bit of motivators. Right. <laughs> You're scaring them into it. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of necessary. Yeah. Um, you also teach practice implementation courses through Institute of Functional Medicine and uh, help to develop my practice plan in collaboration with IFM. So. For doctors who are just getting into the field of, of functional medicine, and uh, we talked a little bit before we started recording about how, how they're maybe coming from a lot of different uh, backgrounds where they've got their own HBA access issues, what do you find to be some of the biggest practice management pitfalls for these clinicians new to functional medicine? Yeah, you know, it's really changed over the years, but now at the courses that, you know, the courses that I teach, and certainly it's even more true for what I teach through IFM, is the majority of new practitioners coming into the field are women between ages 40 and 50. They typically have a medical degree, maybe nurse practitioner, and um, they have a lot going on, you know, because they've been in medicine and not done well, and not, not financially, I don't mean, but it hasn't, uh, their career in medicine hasn't fulfilled their you know, kind of deeper emotional and spiritual needs to help other human beings. And so they're looking for some way to get out mm -hmm. and do something else. And the problem, though, is that they've often been involved in a large medical system or an insurance-based system, and they don't have the entrepreneurial, kind of independent businesswoman chops that probably their grandmothers would have if their grandmother was a medical doc, you know, 50, 100 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so I think just basic business skills – is what we teach a lot of mm -hmm. and um, empowering people in a way to say, hey, you know, it's about as hard as running a hair salon, about as hard as running a restaurant, about as hard as running a bicycle shop. You know, it's not, you know, having a private cash pay practice in functional medicine, it, it seems overwhelming, but, you know, if we just show you the way that this is done, it, it's not that complex. And for sure, if you could get through medical school, you know, you can figure out how to do online scheduling and take yeah. credit cards mm -hmm. and do all those things. So I think um, that's a lot of where we work now in the first few months. And then once people figure out that they can do that, they're off and running and they're over that initial kind of deer in the headlights feeling, right? Where they just feel like it's so overwhelming <laughs> they can't proceed. Yeah. Right. Do you feel like that's the biggest rate limiting step, that kind of initial overwhelm between all the things of trying to open, start and get going? On the business side, on the clinical side, even more devastating probably than the business part is they don't know where to start clinically because mm -hmm. they've heard about 35 different labs. Yeah. Right. You know, they've heard about a couple hundred different supplements, herbs, and medications, and they just don't know what a new patient workup should look like. There's no standard of care in that way. Mm -hmm. And then the common line in functional medicine is, oh, you know, it's, you know, individualized medicine, it's personalized medicine. And that makes people think that there's no system to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's really why I started the whole Kalish Medicine Train program because like, no, there is a system. Yeah. Everybody gets sick because they're stressed. Everybody has microbiome problems. You run organic acids, fatty acids, you start to fix things. And giving people a place to start clinically mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. the basic business skills, 
and typically within 12 to 18 months, we'll te- these medical docs will have cash practices where they're bringing in two, three, four, five hundred grand a year. They're financially comfortable and stable, and they're out of that kind of fear of not having financial security, fear of letting their families down and such, you know, because they're leaving this very kind of financially stable mm-hmm. uh, conventional medical job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dan, you and I talked earlier. You're in essence describing me. And Michael's laughing <laughs> over here staring at me. Because I'm not laughing at you. <laughs> because in essence, you it's a whole shift in the paradigm of, of how you understood medicine. And it really is that just those practical steps, how to get from A to B, is it's something that we lack. And there's a lot of unlearning that happens too. And so I think that's where your teaching steps in and really fills that gap to, to the simple things that we don't know. And it just, just helping along with that paradigm shift is important. Yeah, it's that first 12 to 18 months. You know? yeah. And then people are off and running because they have the cash flow. They can get more sophisticated with the lab work. They can start to do whatever they want in the field. But that getting started barrier prevents 97% of the people from progressing. When you look at the numbers of practitioners that come to these conferences versus the numbers that start a practice, right. it's really only a couple percent that are successful right now. And that number should be a lot higher. Right. Yeah. 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 Agree. And I really appreciate the way that you lay that out too, because when I think about a lot of these clinicians that you're describing, they've come from a background that is algorithm derived, right? You right. like you've got symptom A, which leads to prescription B, which yep. leads to follow up C. And there are protocols. There yeah. are protocols. People they just follow a protocol and that's it. And then they go to functional medicine, and it's like, well, everything is connected to everything else, right. and it makes it so Correct. big that it can be overwhelming on the clinical side. So I think that's really important that you lay that there. There is a system and you can learn that through what you're teaching. Yeah. Yeah, and there, in fact, I know I get in a lot of trouble every time I say this, but there are protocols in functional medicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There 100% are. And if you look at any good functional medicine doctor, they don't do a completely different liver support program for every single person with low sulfate, right? They come like, okay, some N-acetylcysteine, and they do that over and over again. And so I think teaching the things that we do over and over again that mm-hmm. are you know, kind of by consensus – commonly done but the doctors have been doing this for a while just giving that knowledge to the new people so they can get started and then they can customize later but they need that first initial confidence it really comes down to confidence in what they're prescribing Mm -hmm. um working yeah yeah yeah. and i think a lot of what this podcast that michael and i have is about the you know meeting in the middle you know it's the allopathic versus naturopathic and functional medicine and meeting in the middle and a lot of this podcast comes from those two different viewpoints and through just to kind of shift gears just a little bit dr kalish that a lot of this podcast we we talk about diet and lifestyle but diet comes up a lot and there are so many different viewpoints out there around diet whether we're talking mediterranean or paleo or vegan or carnivore in your practice or when you speak to the you know your mentees do you have any general recommendations to talk to patients who are trying to navigate the diet landscape yeah, no, this is a funny one because this just shows how old I am. It's like there, well, there's, we've gone to this insane extreme. So I was doing gluten-free diets 28 years ago. Mm-hmm. Okay, but we all took that one a little too far. Um, GAPS diet, SCD diet, autoimmune paleo diet. It's just, you know, the no cantaloupe diet, the no lectin diet, the no beans diet, which is the most insane of all. So like there, I think what's happened is as people have become less healthy and as the gut microbiome has collapsed more and more for many people 
normal healthy foods have become problematic, you know, like whole grains and beans and things like that. And that there's an, oh, and I think this is human nature. There's an overreaction and an overemphasis on putting people on these really restrictive diets because they do help patients feel better mm -hmm. for a little while. Mm -hmm. But most of them in the longer term are going to damage the microbiome even more. Because as you guys know, it's all about diversity, right? It's all about variety mm -hmm. in yeah. food mm -hmm. that creates the diversity and variety in the gut organisms that are causing these problems in the first place. Right. And so I think the bigger message I have now is that we need to figure out how to open up people's diets within whatever lane you want to practice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like we have lots of doctors now that are you know all vegan and all their patients are all vegan. That is great. More power to you. We have lots of doctors that are all paleo and want their patients to eat liver every day or whatever. You know That's right. great too. I don't even know that how much that matters as long as we're not being restrictive, right? And mm -hmm. that we have this huge variety of foods and we're trying to push that envelope that people who are on restricted diets do some food allergy testing, maybe in the beginning, figure out how to eliminate the harmful foods, but ultimately have this goal of having a, as broad a diet as you can. Mm -hmm. Reverse the trend that we've been in, you know, going through the last 20 years, maybe. Right. And, you know, the biggest negative trend is the increase of processed foods, processed sugar. Just eat sugar. regular foods. People. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. You know, and that's the one thing that is underlying a lot of these particular diets that, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, we tend to right. might actually be more associated with the overall clinical improvement as well. That's true. That's true. Yeah. And that's a given across all of these, whether you're going to have them eat, eat meat or not. Right. right. That Yeah. The processed foods get eliminated 100 percent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, you know, the Kalish Institute's been an educational force in functional medicine for some time. Um, can you speak to a little bit about what the Kalish Institute kind of overall is for physicians who may be new to functional medicine, may not be aware of it? Can you just talk a little bit about your program? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, so I've been teaching for, you know, 15, 20 years, and the emphasis is always on practice implementation, how to get a practice started and trying to provide the business track that people need to make that transition, if they need development on the business skills, and then also the clinical lab interpretation side, combined with patient education, patient communication. So we have different courses. We have some courses that focus mostly on business, some that focus almost exclusively on patient education and lab interpretation. And then also seeing that those are necessary on both sides, right? That you, you want to have reasonably good business skills and exceptionally great lab interpretation skills. And it's kind of hard these days to get practical education in that way. I was yeah. thinking about this last week because when I was 30 years ago, hardly anybody wanted to do functional medicine. Yeah. So uh -huh. when I was making the phone calls 30 years ago about who, who could I do a mentorship with, people were like, yeah, come on down. And Glenn Frieder was like, yeah, come on down to San Diego. He didn't have anyone else calling him. That was part of the problem. <laughs> and so I had these mentorships with Dr. Timmons, Dr. Frieder that lasted four or five years and um, really are what taught, you know, gave me the clinical head start that I needed. And now there's a lot of new practitioners that want to do functional medicine and there's not that many older docs that have the 30 years of experience to do a mentorship. Mm -hmm. So part of the course that I teach now is to provide that same experience that I had as a young practitioner, but in an online format in a small group, right, where yeah. you can actually learn from other students as well as from the teachers like myself. Well, as part of your, as part of joining the Kalish Institute, I know there's, you have an extensive mentorship. And could you talk to us a little bit about that mentorship and some of those master classes that you're offering there? Yeah, so the mentorship for those interested is a year-long program. It's pretty 
detailed and you know we have live calls every week and this huge recorded curriculum and all that and as sort of an introduction to my teaching style and what we're doing I've developed a series of master classes and um, one of the more popular ones that we developed this year is on mitochondria and the brain and it just gives you a broad introduction to organic acids to how to start to look at the labs design effective patient programs based on the testing where we really want to get into what I call therapeutic dosages of supplements and um, not well we want to be not aggressive and harmful in any way to people but if we underdose patients and we don't have the right sort of force behind the supplement program then patients don't experience results and they get frustrated and, mm -hmm. and drop out so that's one of the goals with these practical courses is to teach safe long-term used dosage recommendations that really make the clinical difference. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. Yeah. And we want to encourage everyone to check out the Kalish Institute. There's so much ridiculous learning there. There's an amazing amount I of know. content on, on your platform. So first I should just say congratulations. That's like right. That <laughs> great work. Well done. Right. Thank, um, you. Thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. I've been on there and looked at all that tremendous content. It's yeah. really great. There's a lot of Genova labs on there as well. So we love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, really it's almost all based on Genova labs. And I'll say one thing, not that you guys entice me to say this, but you know, I've, <laughs> I've run labs. We, we have patients where I have eight years of labs, you know, and every six months we run these tests and the precision and accuracy. And, and, and I just have, I would literally trust my life to a Genova sulfate marker. You know? <laughs> I mean, because they're just so spot on and they're so consistent. You know, I think we're in an industry also where there are a lot of startup lab companies that, they have very good intentions, absolutely, mm -hmm. but they just haven't figured out the science and the consistency and the validity of the labs yet. And so I think for new practitioners, this is actually really difficult because you go to a conference and you don't know, right. like, oh, that company started 18 months ago and, you know, in five years, they'll probably figure out how to run those markers. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's a, an important part of the mentorship experience is that you, you have to go with what your yeah. industry standards are, you know, and then as yeah. you you know, mature, you can get a more broad view of the field. But in the beginning years, I think it's hard to understand that not all the lab companies are created the same. Yeah, we appreciate that. I, it's um, I know we spend a lot of time here kind of banging the drum of the the standards to which our, our laboratory is held to um, intentionally. And I uh, just appreciate that that's actually going notice. So thank you for that. Yeah. Um, I do have one additional question. Actually, we tend to end each interview with a little bit of a different question, a little off topic. Um, this isn't quite off topic, but we didn't prepare you for this, Dr. Kaler. So <laughs> I hope we're going to spring it on him. We're going to spring this on you. And this might be difficult question to handle. So <laughs> that's why it's called the fireball. The fireball. What is your favorite organic acid? Wow. Oh, yeah. I thought you were going to say ice cream. I was about to say butter pecan. <laughs> you going to say what's your favorite kind of ice cream? That's um, the second one. You beat me to the second question. Well. But for Dr. Kalish, it's like pick your favorite kid, right? That, like, yeah. This is a tough yeah. one. Yeah. Well, the one that gets, oh, you know what? Um, how about creatinine? That's like a what? interesting. That's like a non-answer, isn't it? Wow. That's like a, so it's a marker on the organic acids test. Correct? Yeah, you went off the board. You did, <laughs> right? I love it. So it's on the organic acids test, and then why is that even important? It's just sitting there, and no one even looks at it. Isn't that sad? <laughs> That's so that true. Sad. Yeah. 
So when you look at amino acids and what we do with amino acids in the body, we make grams and grams of creatinine every day. Mm. Or creatine, creatine. I'm sorry, I'm saying yeah. it wrong. Creatine, mm -hmm. which gets broken down into creatinine, right? right. Uh -huh. So this is one of the major ways that you can track. Well, the, you guys use it on the lab reports so you can standardize the test, right? You make right. sure that the urine sample is good, correct? Yep. Exactly, mm -hmm. yep. However, it's also going to be a direct reflection, not only of muscle mass, so you can see if the testing is accurate, but it's also going to be a direct reflection of the person's amino acids and how capable they are of absorbing amino acids and, and making things grow and making things work. Because mm -hmm. the creatine that we produce is one of the largest what do you call it? Energy socks, right? It's one of the largest uh, areas that we have to dump amino acids into producing. And so if those numbers are artificially low, mm -hmm. then you can have a really big crisis with a lack of free form amino acids. Mm. And that's just, that number is just kind of just sitting there innocently and you're not really thinking it's important, <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. When it's yeah. elevated, do you think of a reflection of catabolic physiology? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got it. You're right. Because that's my obsession, right? So right. you got it. So that number would drop in response to how catabolic or how broken down that person is. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 And it does. We think about the tie-in with muscle tissue. It kind of makes a fair amount of sense there, too. Yeah. Huh. You know, it's so funny. That's we did not expect that answer before before we called you. I was like, oh, Michael, we Dr. Were going back I'm like, forth. he's totally going for the kind urine pathway. And Michael goes, no, I'm thinking of Robin at all. I'm like, I don't know. Well, because that's the one that no one knows. You're right. right. No one's even looking at it. That's why it's kind of a fun one. That's awesome. We loved it. And butter pecan. That's right. Yeah. Well, oh, this is a blast, Dr. Kalish. We're so grateful that you came on the show and spoke with us and tons of great information. We're going to encourage everyone to check out the Kalish Institute, especially absolutely. if you're new to functional medicine. Just an amazing yeah. resource. So yeah, we can't thank you enough for coming on. Oh, thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah. Take right. care. Really enjoy talking to Dr. Kalish. Me I think too. he's got a wealth of knowledge and I love his particular filter of practice implementation, practice management. Um, I think that's really important for a lot of the docs. As he was saying, man, that stat. Oh, I know. But having been there, I mean, that is the missing piece. It's like, oh, this is all great pie in the sky stuff, but to actually take it and do it is scary. So to have someone engaging like Dr. Kalish is great because he's just that person to help bridge that gap. Yeah, I can't encourage people enough to go visit his website, mm -hmm. look at his information on his website, and uh, also make sure to go, if you're at an IFM event, and uh, make sure to, to sign up and attend his uh, practice implementation sessions as well. Next time on The Lab Report, we talk to Dr. Andy Galpin. Yeah, PhD researcher, cool guy, and actually kind of famous. I'm going to ask him about muscle fiber types. Oh my gosh, here we go again. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. What's your favorite ice cream? Mint chocolate chip. Really? Mm-hmm. What's yours? Probably Oreo ice cream. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Actually, I've been making some for my daughter recently. She thinks it's like... I'm some magician when I smash the Oreos and mix it into the vanilla ice cream. She's oh. like, how did you know to do that? I thought you were making it from scratch or something. Why don't you just buy Oreo ice cream? <laughs>